You know, we have an awesome shepherd. How many of you know Jesus is the good shepherd? And you know, he, the Bible says that he daily, daily just brings his goodness upon him, on his people because you are extremely valuable in his sight. He loves his people. He cares about us. And, you know, as I was playing the piano back there today, the Lord just impressed on me a passage in Matthew 9 where it says that Jesus looked upon the multitude and he had, it says he was moved with compassion. It literally means to be moved in the bowels, in the depths of his being when he saw the multitude. That, you know, sometimes we think that the multitude are really nice, great, good people. But you know, when Jesus saw the multitude, you know what he saw? He saw liars. They were thieves. They were publicans. Not Republicans. They were publicans. A publican was a Jew who worked for Rome who was considered a, uh, uh, a betrayer of the Jews. Because many times these guys would skim and they would steal from even very poor people. These people were filled with witchcraft. They were filled with rebellion. Many of them were in such deep bondage. There was a toxic, religious spirit and oppression over the land when Jesus came. And when Jesus came with the good news of the kingdom, it was such a shock because people had become so desensitized with the toxicity of the sin nature and the religious system of that day that concepts like freedom, liberty, the whole idea of you becoming more than a conqueror was so foreign to people in Jesus' day that they just couldn't grasp it. But he was moved with compassion. By the way, do you know we, we have some, in some cases, in some ways, the same spirit. There are people today that are stuck in their life. And how many of you believe God wants us to move forward in him? He doesn't want you to be stuck. In the Old Testament, the journey begins with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the book of Genesis. But from Genesis chapter 50 to Exodus chapter 1, there are 430 years. There's a space. And it says Joseph, or I mean Pharaoh, did not know Joseph. Did not recognize and he did not, he was not moved with that. And the Bible says the children of Israel become slaves. And they become used to becoming a slave. You can become conditioned to thinking and living and believing like a slave. All they did every day was just with their feet, they would stomp on hay and they would make clay, bricks of clay. That was their job. And they got very little to eat and they got used to that condition of slavery. When God sent Moses in Exodus 3 to deliver his people, it was a word to bring them out of slavery into a promised land, but it wasn't just about giving them things and making them prosperous. The most important thing that God was trying to do with his people was make them sons and daughters, to 
transform and recreate a brand new vision and grid for their life. You see, when your grid has been, do you know that sin and actually people you hang around will conform and transform your grid for either worse or better? The people you keep company with, the things you watch on the internet, things you watch on television, the, the news, your political, will shape your grid. It will shape your vision. And right now, there, there are even political leaders that want you to become dependent on them. But God, his desire and plan was to bring his people out of slavery into a place where there's liberty and freedom. And the only way that we can experience that true freedom is when we are not only transformed in our grid and our vision, but we begin to see ourselves with a brand new identity. The purpose of the gospel was to reshape and renew your mind so you begin to think like a winner. But when you've been a slave... For so long, you've been living in the ditch of sin and self-pity and feeling sorry for yourself. And God comes to you with a fresh word, a prophetic word. All of a sudden, the devil attacks that word. Mark chapter 4 says that when the sower went out to sow the seed, immediately Satan came and stole the word. So anytime, and so what, how, how do you know that the word's been taken out of your mind? You know, what, you know what it is? You become passive. Yeah. Oh, I've heard that word before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's ho-hum. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. And you're always looking for some bigger thing. And God has come to bring a word of refreshing and renewing of our mind because he intends for you to be blessed. He intends for you to be the head and not the tail. He intends for you to be above only. He, he intends for us to be more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I want to just take us a little bit on a journey on where we are going. Now, there's not only an individual vision that God will give you, which has to do with your calling and your place, but there's a corporate vision. How many of you know that vision is also becoming part of a team? So I, I put a bus up there because how many of you know that we need to ask ourselves, where's this bus going? How many have ever got the wrong bus, the wrong plane, the wrong train? You know, I don't know if you, but I, I did it once. And I ended up in southwest Portland. And I could not get the bus driver to turn around because he had a route. He says, mister, I will let you out at the next stop, but I'm not going back for you. I learned a lesson. And here's what I learned. you got to make sure you're on the right bus. Right. And I didn't look at the directions over the head. I only saw, I saw part of it, but I didn't re read the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going north to Gleason, and the guy turned west, and I said, stop. Didn't stop. See, sometimes we carelessly just kind of drift through life, and we just, well, I, well there's a lot of people. 70%, according to Barna, 70% of Americans right now have no vision for their life. They basically believe their vision is their career, and they're just kind of trying to survive. God not is not intended for you to survive. He intends for you to thrive. Yeah. 
And so he begins to come with a prophetic word or a ministry with his word to elevate your vision. But it starts with helping you to know who you are and not being held hostage to your past. Somewhere along the way, I have to make a decision. Am I going the right way or the wrong way? How many of you know that's just simple? Jesus said this, follow me. To be a follower, that means he's in charge. A person who doesn't follow is in charge of their own life. You're not, you can pretend to follow Jesus. By the way, coming to church doesn't make you a follower. You know, you, you can go, I know, there's a lot of pastors and preachers that are gifted, that are behind a pulpit, but they're not following and hearing his voice. They're letting their gift carry them, but they're not hearing and following. There's ministry with sin in their life, and that will destroy the anointing in your life. So God's going to dig deep, but we need to ask ourselves a very important question. Where am I going? Now, let me, let me just say this. When I talk about vision and purpose today, I am not trying to get people to get into the church and get on the pulpit and do a ministry in the church. You're, I'm not talking about you becoming a missionary because, by the way, we're all missionaries. Right, right. We're all preachers. A preacher isn't confined to a guy. I understand there's a fivefold apostolic anointing and a gift where God sets apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, Jesus for the perfecting and maturing and the edification of the body of Christ. And there are specific ministry elders and bishops uh, that are here to equip God's people. But when we talk about vision, you may be a school teacher, you may be a plumber, you may be a housewife. You may be a musician. You may be in, in, in a particular field that you are gifted and you've been drawn to. I want to tell you something. God wants to bring the very best in the very area that he has placed you in. You, God's going to make you the best teacher. He's going to make your influence to be a powerful influence. You may not influence thousands. You might only influence one in your entire life. Entire, entire life. And God will stand before you someday and say, well done, you good and faithful, because I gave you one, one person to influence. It might be a granddaughter, a grandson. It might be a granddaughter. You may not feel like you have a huge influence with people, but, but there was one that you influenced for righteousness. I remember the story years ago of a, of a Baptist Sunday school teacher was asked by his pastor to lead a Sunday school class, and he led the fifth and sixth grade boys, and at the end of those two years, he felt like he... His, his ministry wasn't effective. He, 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 he led some boys in the uh, sinner's prayer. But he didn't see that. He didn't feel like he had any real fruit. But later on, we found out that one of the little boys that was in his class, that that teacher had an influence over, gave his heart to Jesus, and his name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham gave his heart in a class where the Sunday school teacher did not feel he was doing very well. How many of you know that you may be ministering to a Billy Graham or a Joyce? Right, right. And sometimes we don't, see, we don't see the kind of results 
that we think would be ministry. So what a lot of us do is we just quit and give up. God, God doesn't want you to be a quitter. Right, right. God wants you to know that he doesn't require necessarily for you just to bring results to him because sometimes we don't see the results until eternity. But what he does call us to do is be faithful, irregardless of the results. And that's what the call is. But I want to just take you, if we could go to the next slide here, where are we going? I want you to see what Habakkuk says in 2.2. And God said, write what you see, write it out in big block letters. In other words, have a mission statement so that it can be read on the run for the vision message is a witness pointing to what is coming. Let me tell you what vision is. Vision is having a picture of the future. Do you have a picture that God has put in your heart? It comes in the form of a dream. It comes in the form of a prophetic word or an exhortation. But let me tell you something about a picture. Many of us shortchange ourselves and we begin to have a vision of things that we can do in our own strength. And we actually limit ourselves. But every vision and every true dream that God gives will be something that is super greater than you can ever do in your own strength. God doesn't give you something to do in your own strength. And here's why. Because you'll take all the glory for it. He will put you in a situation that is beyond reason. It is It'll bring contradiction at times. The dream and the vision will bring confusion. It might even bring shock. Can any of you ever hear a word from God where God sends you to a nation to actually bring and transform the entire nation? That's what happened with Moses. God called him to be a deliverer. And remember what Moses' excuse was? I can't talk. Why would you choose me? The same thing happened with Gideon in the Bible. He was treading out wheat in a wine vat. Do you know what? When you are small-minded, you'll find yourself trying to survive in the wrong place. You'll do things, you're trying to survive, and the Lord will come, oh, and he calls him, oh, mighty man of God. And Gideon began to complain. Where are you, God? Where, where is the God of miracles? And you know what? The angel never answered him. He says, you're to rise up, almighty man of God, and you're going to go forth and you're going to destroy the Malachites. God has given them into your hand. And all he could do is think about what God didn't do. How many of you know that vision is not always focusing on what hasn't happened or what God hasn't done, but it's beginning to focus on what he is doing now. See, part of the renewing of the mind is when I focus on what he's doing rather than what he hasn't done. And if you don't make that decision, you will be stuck. So God's going to give us a vision, and then he says, write it down. Why? Because we need to remember it. If we go to the next passage, the very next passage, I want to show you six important factors that are the components of any vision. These are, I'm going to move through these real quick. First of all, vision gives you a destination, a picture of the goal. We need a destination. It also, there's a roadmap. In other words, how are we going to get there? This involves the journey. It's one thing to have a destination, but then there's the journey, how we're going to get there. What's the plan? Then the vehicle. 
the work that is necessary. God uses the vehicle of, of, of the work that is necessary. Fourthly, teamwork. You will never be able to get where you're going by yourself. That's why you're planted in the body of Christ. Do you know why God puts people around you? To help you see what you can't see. I need people. I need leaders. I need apostolic spiritual fathers and brothers in Christ. I need that. It's part of the teamwork and going towards the vision. Then there's the, the, the fifth thing is we have to make some decisions. Vision involves a decision. I remember when my wife and I first got married, and I asked my wife, I said, Carol, actually, I asked her this before we were married. We were single, and I asked her this question. And first of all, I made a statement. I said, Carol, before we move forward in our relationship, I need to tell you something. And I told her this. I said, I have a call of God on my life. And she just sat there and smiling and big face. And I said, do you know what that means? She says, yes, I know what that means. And I said, what I mean by that is I believe that I'm not just called to a career, not to say that being in a career is wrong, but I said, I feel that God may want me to go into the ministry. It's been confirmed through prophets and ministries of different men who've come who didn't even know me. And I said, I feel that. Do you have the same unified vision? And she says, yes, I do. And I said, home run. Wow, we're in unity. I didn't ask her what burger joint she liked to go to. I didn't ask her, if, do you like mountain climbing? Those things were incidental. What movies do you like? We, we weren't getting, I wanted to know what her heart was. Was it a kingdom focus? It wasn't because we were super spiritual. It was something that the Holy Spirit put on my heart. And so, how many of you know it's important to talk to people? It's important to talk to your boyfriend, girlfriend, your spouse. It's important, even now, even after 42 years of marriage, Carol and I still talk about the vision. We've made a decision. We've also made a decision that in order for that vision to come to pass, we have to guard our hearts. I mean, yeah, I want to tell you something. There have been many people in our life, good people, good friends. I'm going to, I'm going to say something once you hear me. There have been good friends in our life that had we made decisions to follow with them or to keep company in their crowd, it would have distracted the vision. Now, I understand we're to be a light to the world, but that's a different thing. But I'm talking about opening our hearts in a fellowship where there were certain people that would derail. For instance, what I'm talking about is there's people that had a bad attitude to, about the church or about God. And, you know, I, I guard my heart with people like that. How many of you know you've got to guard the vision? Because the devil wants to destroy the vision by getting you around discontents, people that are complaining and murmuring, and there's nothing that will destroy the vision in your life faster than people that murmur and complain and slander. Avoid that. You have to guard your heart. Well, Pastor Ray, that, what about the love of Jesus? Should we show the love of Jesus? No, the Bible says to separate yourself from those who sow division. Romans 15. You've got to guard the heart. Pray for them. By the way, over the years, I have lost friends. I'm not kidding. I've lost friends because I've had to talk to them about bad attitudes. 
in my home church, God put a vision in my heart to stay under Pastor Iverson. And I remember there was a couple of men in our church that was trying to split the church. And I remember confronting one of those guys. And he's, he's, he told me to, to my face, he says, well, I know what side you're on. I said, yeah, I'm on God's side. I'm not taking the side of my pastor or you. The thing is, you are slandering and sowing division, and that's dangerous. And he was offended. There was an offense. And let me tell you, an offense will derail your vision. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You've got to guard your heart here. You've got to make some decisions. You can't just go around and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm everybody's friend. You can't do that. You've got to guard your heart. Abraham and Lot were relatives. And the Bible says there were such heated arguments between their brethren that Abraham came to Lot and said, listen, the land is too small for us to dwell together. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go south, I'll go. There comes a point where you've got to separate yourself from people that might try to derail the vision. Doesn't mean he, by the way, Abraham went later on and rescued Lot, but they had been separated. He still loved Lot, but you've got to guard your heart so the vision does not become derailed. Some of you have had a call of God in your life. God has spoken to you. And whether, you know what somebody could say to you? And I've, this happens all the time. What are you doing in that position? You're, you're, you're no leader. Who, who do you think you are? Boy, if, if people only knew what you did, they would run from you. Do you know that those are demonic lies to derail your vision? There are people that would sow seeds, and there are people today sitting on the bench. They've lost their vision because they're not walking in discernment. There's sometimes you've got to plug your ears and say, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm going to move forward. Amen? Yes. The next thing is investment. Every vision is going to cost you something. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to pay a price. Some people have said, well, Lord, here I am. <laughs> oh, God, I'm just waiting for you to tell me what to do. I've been sitting here for 25 years just waiting for God just to bombshell me. I'll do whatever you tell me, God. I'll never forget when I got a prophetic word years ago in high school. It was a powerful prophetic word. I mean, there's people in the church were shouting, wow, Ray, what an awesome prophecy. I'll never forget going to my youth pastor. And I was kind of having, I hate to say it, but I had a big head because the prophetic word was powerful. I went to Wayman Steele. He was my youth pastor. I said, well, Wayman, when, when would you like to use me someday? <laughs> And I will never forget, he put his hand on my shoulder and he led me to a janitor's closet. And he said, I would like you to make sure the youth room is vacuumed every time. And I said, is that it? <laughs> That's it. So my big prophecy, the, the big vision that I got started with vacuuming the youth hall. And I remember... The first time I started vacuuming, I had an attitude. He didn't listen to my prophecy. He didn't hear what God had called me to be. 
I'm not kidding. The word was that my feet, the prophet said, your feet will touch the ground of many nations and you will be a prophet to the nation in your city and you will be a pastor and a shepherd, a strong shepherd mantle, and a strong prophetic mantle is upon you, O man of God, all this stuff. And I come out of that and I go to my youth pastor thinking, man, Bray, I want you to start preaching themes and messages and doing this. And he hands me a broom or a vacuum sweeper and I remember vacuuming the floor my God, I can't believe this. I'm the man of God. I'm vacuuming the floor. And his wife, he, his wife is named Sandy. She comes in and she, would, she, she was a funny gal, but she would say this. Isn't it awesome to do things with a cheerful heart? <laughs> yeah, I'm cheerful. I'm cheerful. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And you know, part of the vision involves a journey. Right, right. See, see, God, you know, how many here have teenagers you've ever had to teach them how to drive a car? Hey, Amen. Can, can you imagine a three or four year old come and say, Dad, let me have the keys, man? I'm sure that all of us here would agree that that's, that's just pure stupid. Well, God wants to give us the keys, but he wants to develop some stuff in here so we right. don't kill ourselves right. and kill and hurt other people. Right. Now, I, I need to say this. There's times where leadership and things that we say and do in leadership will offend. Jesus offended, but he wasn't offending in a way that was destroying people. There were things that he was saying that was contrary and was... Can you imagine Peter... Coming to Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going to die. That's not going to happen. Just right before that, Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, man, my church is going to be built because of what you said. I know it. Thank God. Wow, I've got revelation. Then he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And Jesus, now think about this. Can you imagine me coming to John and say, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me. Can you imagine someone calling you Satan? But Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan. Jesus was saying that there's a spirit and a voice that is speaking through a man who is really a devoted father. Peter, in his mind at the time, he really believed he was a follower of Jesus. But he was acting out of a carnal knowledge that really exposed the real motivation for why he was following him. Do you know that you might think you're devout and a true follower, but problems expose what you really are inside? See, God will take you through something. And you might, you might, I'm into God, man. I'm really following Jesus. You got me all the way. Vacuum the floor. No, no, no. I will not be subject to that kind of discrimination. No way. No, no. You just don't know who I am. See? And vision, part of the development of the vision, God gives you, how many of you know God always gives you a prophetic word that just takes you high? Man, you're going to touch the nations. Your feet are going to touch the soil. of it. You're going to be a prophet. And then he takes you high, and then he allows you, he pulls the rug out from underneath. 
God comes to the house of Jesse. Big vision, David, young man, you're the man. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Now I want to put you under a king that I've rejected. How many of you would like to go and sit under a pastor that God has rejected, but God says, I want you to serve him anyway? Because it was through those years, even though David had the gifting to lead, he didn't have the compassion to care. God will put you in the depths of a problem in a very severe situation to break your heart so you can identify with people. Leadership isn't just about spouting your gift. Leadership is about connecting with people where they're at. And that doesn't come only through brokenness and humility. And you know, it, 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 now I know I'm speaking from a standpoint on my, on my journey, but maybe your journey didn't come that way. Maybe God's called you to be an executive, a secretary. Your vision is, and, and, and all of us have to, first of all, identify our gifts. We have to, first of all, be healed in the area of our, our identity. God wants to transform you and bring you and change your grid from becoming a slave, full of fear, full of apprehension, full of negative talk, it's full of grasshopper thinking. The children of Israel said, we can't do it. God's trying to kill us. See, every promise God calls you to is going to sometimes bring a sense of challenge to you that at times you're going to think, God's trying to kill me. And you begin to mock God, and you can say, God, I can't and I won't do it. God says, this is the key to bringing you into where I want, to, want you to go. But I'm a grasshopper. You don't know I'm a victim. I'm small. The giants are big. I'm small. It won't work. So you talk yourself out of it. And listen to this. God will let you. He didn't allow the generation to go into the promised land because he knew it would be sudden death. So he kept them alive by allowing them to continue year in, year out, go in circles. How many of you are tired of going in circles? I don't want to go in circles anymore. But here's the thing. I have to say yes to the challenges. And those challenges come in different ways. It could come, maybe for some of you, it might be a sickness. It might be something happening in the, in the marriage or in the family. It could be on your job. It, can, it could be a personal issue internally. God's asking you to rise up and to begin to think. Isaiah 55, it says, For as the heavens are high and as my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, I want you to start coming up to a greater level. I want you to begin to see yourself as a son, as a daughter. I want you to see yourself as Jesus, as we were all baptized. How many here have been baptized in water? The baptism of water wasn't just to get you wet. The purpose of baptism was to bring a renewing and an understanding and a depth of impartation that the same prophetic word that was over Jesus, who is the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8, 27, that you would walk and live with a continual understanding that you are a beloved son in whom the Father is well pleased. Every day I thank the Lord, not every day, but I try to thank the Lord every day. Thank you, Lord, for calling me a beloved son in whom you are well pleased. And it's the knowledge that I please him gives me the drive 
and the desire to want to please him. I don't want to go back and drink and eat out of the cesspool of sin anymore. I have no desire to live out of the sewage and toxify and contaminate my mind because my body was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And he, I owe him everything. He's worthy of it all. And when David began to understand what it was to have a vision, he said this, and it doesn't matter. Because, you know, it's not about the glory. It's not about the hype. It's not about the leadership. David made this powerful story, statement that so identifies a person who is truly healthy and whole. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to sit in the tents of wickedness. Part of the way that you know that you are healthy is it doesn't matter how or what God's called you to do because the most important thing is your relationship and the love that he has for you and what you have for him. And it just, it just imparts and flows. And it, it doesn't matter if you've vacuumed the floor. It doesn't matter if you're a prophet. It doesn't matter if your church is locked. What matters is you're living your life to please him. And it's so worth it. And I just believe this as I'm starting this thing on vision because I'm, I was going to get into, I'm not going to be able to right now because my time's gone, but I want to just say I was, was going to be getting into the Mark chapter 5 with the woman with the issue of blood. Here's a powerful picture of vision. This woman was held hostage by doctors who used her and took all of her money. But I love what it says there in the passage. It says that when she heard about Jesus, she came. See, when you hear about Jesus, it moves you. But before it moved her, it transformed the grid. Instead of rejection and defilement because she was, she was a, considered a woman with an issue of blood based on the Levitical Aaronic uh, laws in the, the book of Leviticus, she was defiled. She was religiously and ceremonially rejected from even bringing a sacrifice. She was considered cursed. But when she heard about Jesus, she came. She pressed through and touched the hem. And this is what I'm saying. God wants us to touch and experience the healing. It's what opens the veil so we can see with our eyes a clear vision of what we are and what we can do. I, I am so pumped about what God's doing this year. I'm going to tell you something. I feel this prophetic, and I felt what John was saying this morning, prophetic, powerful. This nation is going to go through some shaking. I guarantee you the election this year, the presidential election, will be brought into question. It, it, it's good, it, there's such confusion right now in Washington. I'm going to tell you right now, God is shaking things. It doesn't matter. I'm, you know, I'm not talking about political parties here. I'm going to tell you, God is shaking things because, and the reason is, is God is going to bring to light. He's going to elevate and the significance and the integrity of his kingdom. Today, people lie. They think they can make promises, and they do this, and the people know they can't trust them. Nobody believes anybody. The integrity is just stripped. 
out of this nation. But God's allowing this thing to happen because I believe what he's doing, he's bringing intercessors and people are praying. What we're doing on Monday night, intercession and prayer. Let me tell you, part of answer to prayer is when God begins to shake things so that he can bring his kingdom into play. I, I believe we are living in the best days. I want to tell you, right now it is so easy to share Jesus. I, Camille came to me last week. I appreciate Camille coming up and asking me about sharing the gospel. I, I, I told Camille, I said, you know, Camille, I had two amazing encounters last week. But I said, I didn't tell the whole church everything. I said, out of the two that I really get a breakthrough for conversation, I get about 20 that don't want to talk to me. There's many people, hey, can I just talk to you about the love of God? Do you know that God has his hand on you? I'll give a word of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I'll see you later. Don't, don't talk to me. Get that all the time. But here's the beautiful thing. Even though they reject you, don't want to talk to you, they will never forget the fact that someone said God has his hand on you, God has a plan for you, and right. he loves you. Right. They will not forget that. Right. Right. Yes. We've got to get over the fear of people. There are people right now around. Do you know that your word isn't just a word, it's a prophetic word? You're putting a seed in them that's making them think about something they never thought about. And that's powerful, and that's important. Jesus said, Peter, he was a bad, having a bad day of fishing. He says, Peter, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And see, that's what we're doing. Part of the sowing of our seed is a prophetic declaration. We're declaring things over people, and they, we, you may not see the fruit. But you're sowing the seed. That's what God's asked me to do. And all of us to do that. Now, I'm going to end here because, well, let me just take the last one here, taking risks. Actually, I forgot to say seven. There's seven things. Taking risks. One of the things about vision, there's going to be a risk factor. We've got to be willing to get out of the boat, and we've got to learn to walk on water. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Isn't God good? God is so good. He's so great. And you know what? I want to tell you something, folks. I want to challenge you. I want you to begin on earth to agree with what God's word and what his promise says of you. We need to come into agreement that we are redeemed, chosen, blessed. We are favored by a loving father. He loves his people. You are, the Bible says you're a peculiar people. You are his own special. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are special. Special. The Bible says you're his own special people. A peculiar people. And then he says this, you're a holy nation. And then he calls you a peculiar treasure. You're a treasure to him. And we, one of the things about building the vision, we go into vision from a place of strength, not from a place of being a beggar and being poor. We are moving in our vision from a platform of victory, not a platform of defeat. Years ago, I remember one year, we had a coach. This is years ago when I was in JV football. We lost every game in that one season. 10 games. That had such an effect on our minds. But you know why? It's because we had a coach that was operating from a position of fear and losing. 
And guess what? It just, that spirit went right into the players. And, you know, he would give us some hype, but he never really was imparting what it was to have a grid of really being victorious. It wasn't until I went into the varsity side of football in my junior year, we had a new coach that year, and the first thing he did is he sat us down and he taught us how to think. Because we were thinking from a position of fear and loss and being a defeated football team. And he says, listen guys, before we even start practicing, before we start learning all the plays, before we begin to study, do all the disciplines of playing a football game, you need to begin to play and act and think, I don't want to hear one negative word in this locker room. Never. He understood the power of our speech. I mean, he, he, he says, I want you guys to start doing high fives. I want you. I mean, now, that was foreign to me. But he understood the power of fighting and going into battle from a position of victory. And guess what? Even when we lose or we fail, it's not a disqualification. It's a lesson we learn to take us higher. Failure is not intended to disqualify you. It's a lesson that we learn to take us higher. Amen? So stop looking at your failures as a place of disqualification. No, God actually, let me tell you something, sometimes God plans your failure. Why? I thought it was, I th no, see, he will plan a failure so you can come out stronger. It is never to leave you in a place of defeat. I, I realized there, there were times where God has actually allowed me to fail so he could bring me higher. God has the last chapter in your book. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you today for the vision that you placed into us by the power and the Holy Spirit. Lord, it is the spirit of resurrection for he who believes in me. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It is the power and the spirit of resurrection. Lord, you come to speak life to the dead. You come to give faith to those that are weak. You come to give strength, O oh God, to those who have no strength. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the power and the anointing that rests upon all of us to have a vision that is greater than what we could ever even imagine or think. Because we love you, Lord. We're united with you. We thank you for the same glory that the Father gave you, you have given to the church. And Lord, we walk in that in faith today. In Jesus' name. Turn to someone and say, you are a conqueror in Jesus' name.